Okay, so you see the message series up behind me. There's a list of messages. You'll see as JC clicks it, it'll pop up. There you go. And the one we're on today is Uber Epignosis. I'll explain later. But in the lobby, you have copies of the message series all the way through April. And uh, if unless things change, that's the way we're going to do it. So you've got copies there in both of the tables. You'll have... Uh, a chance to grab a copy if you want. There's, there's hanging on the wall, and it's also online. So we'll go ahead and jump right into the text. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. What we're going to have today is a very long, stretched out uh, couple of statements. And we're going to try to take it apart piece by piece. <clears throat> it begins with, for this reason. For what reason? Well, we talked about that. We've been, he keeps with this ongoing thing. God wants to glorify his church. He wants his church to glorify him by exemplifying what happened on the cross, by showing people the grace of Christ as we love them. He wants us to look good to this ugly world, and it is ugly. And he wants his church to to be a very beautiful thing that magnetizes people that are so lost. God has put in place so many mechanisms to reach out and love people to Him, and one of those great mechanisms is the church. That's us, you and me. For this reason, I bow my knees. That's why I brought it up if you are on your knees. That's why I told that story about being on your knees. It's a good practice. It's a very humbling posture. If you physically can do it, it's a good thing. I bow my knees before the Father. And the reason why he says Father, we'll get to that in just a minute, from whom every family, and I, now I want you to see that word family, we'll underline it, and we're going to look at a little bit about the weirdness of this particular word. But he brings up the Father. I didn't realize how special it was to, to have fathers on earth until I was working at a youth incarceration facility in Joplin, Missouri. I had started the chaplaincy program there in 1987. And I remember there was a girl that they told me she was, she'd gotten released from the hospital and she had tried to harm herself, and she physically really tried to end her life. But she was coming back, and she was there, and I showed up just to make sure everything went smoothly. And while I was there, I talked about my loving father. And I wasn't a father yet, but I talked about my loving father, and she raised her hand and had a question. How can you say? You had a loving father. You have no idea what my father did to me. And I didn't. 
All I knew was there was a girl that was very troubled who was incarcerated. And her idea of God was greatly skewed by her idea of a father on earth. And that's when it hit me. It was huge. I, I had, I'm sure I had a blank look on my face as, as I was slammed with this reality. Like, wow. So someday I'm going to be a father. And when I become a father, and I am now, other people are going to think of God as a father by what they see in me, especially my kids. I remember walking in downtown Olympia, and there was a couple of lesbians that I passed them, and they had a small child. And that small child ran up to me, and I didn't know it was happening until the small child grabbed my finger and pulled me and said, are you a daddy? And I, I thought, man, it's, it's such a confused world. And I, as a father, am supposed to represent God as a father, and it seems overwhelming. Like, like I, I don't know if I can do it justice. But I hope that some of what I do as a father would represent our father. And Paul brings this up on purpose. Because of this word we underlined here, he wanted to emphasize from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Each of us have a place in his plan because he is a father who wants us to be successful. He wants, us to, he wants to be able to look at us someday and say, well done. I'm so proud of you. It's huge to have a father say, I'm proud of you. Even if kids don't know how to articulate it, even if adult kids don't want to articulate it, it means a lot to have a parent, father or mother, say, I'm proud of you. But it seems to carry even more weight when it's a father, especially when it's God the Father. And here, the word that's used is not literally family. If you want to literally try to translate it, it would probably actually say fatherhood. But it won't work. If you read it, from whom every fatherhood in heaven doesn't really flow. So I decided, let's check and see what the King James says. Because it's a good translation. I didn't mean to beat it up too much last week. But of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Even the King James translates it family. So let's look at an older version. Uh, uh, in fact, let's look at, it's not the first, but it's before the King James. Let's look at the Geneva translation. Of whom is named the whole family in heaven and in earth. Wow. So very old translations still say this is best translated family, although it's mostly implied. It's not a literal translation because it really literally would be translated something like fatherhood. That should tell you something about the emphasis God has on the family. The father really is supposed to be leading in the family. Doesn't always work out that way. In fact, if you haven't read the book, uh, why Men Hate Going to Church, you might want to read it. It'll explain to you a little bit about how absent the Father is, not just in the home, but in the churches. But it's interesting that God wants us to focus on the family here, to think about how He has a plan for each one of us, 
because he is our father. He guides us as our heavenly father who wants to be very intimately involved with our success. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. Now, don't forget, all of our successes are about the grace of God. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So God wants us to be successful. He wants to strengthen us because we are his family. He is our father, and he wants to do this by his spirit. We're going to talk about several deep concepts today in a very short amount of verses. I would like to introduce you to someone you may not have seen before. I'll show you this image. Does anybody recognize that man? I purposely chose an unflattering image of this preacher who was very well known. He's Hollywood has actually done all kinds of things mimicking him. In fact, Robin Williams did it on Saturday Night Live at one point. Um, this guy uh, was in Los Angeles. He had a large membership. He wrote 23 books after his death. I think they published 14 more of his sermons in book form. He's smoking. He did that while he preached. <laughs> smoking a cigar. He also cussed while he preached. Now, he did. He was raised by an Assembly of God preacher, or a full gospel, I can't remember. He was mixed with both. But his father... Um, Apparently, he kind of pushed away, and he became uh, not an atheist, but more of an agnostic. And he went to college, and he studied, and then he converted back to Christianity because of the evidences that were so overwhelming. He couldn't argue the, the authenticity of the Bible. Now, with his behavior, cussing, smoking, as he preached, he obviously struggled with the authority of the Bible, just not the authenticity. And he actually did write some good things and taught some good things, but he was mostly known for smoking and cussing while he preached. And that draw a crowd that didn't want to behave. Wonder why. His name was Dr. Gene Scott. He passed away in 2005, refusing uh, treatment for his cancer. Dr. Gene Scott said this, faith is a blind leap in the dark. He was quite a respected theologian. Many people took to heart what he said. I would suggest to you that that is a false statement, and we'll get further in Scripture and look at that in a minute. Let's go ahead a little bit further in our text, beginning with verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. There's a lot of stuff said in here. I'm putting my glasses on so I can read my little notes I scribbled. And I'm going to have some notes for you. You might want to take notes. We're going to focus on that word knowledge. You'll see it underlined. 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that's an important thing. Christ taught us, abide in me. This idea of Christ staying in us, dwelling in us. That's very important. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Remember, it is by grace you're saved through faith. Through our faith, Christ dwells in us. That you being rooted and grounded in love, we'll get back to that in a minute, but love is the emphasis, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And I don't know if you've ever done uh, drawings, but you know, some people, there's some cool things. They'll have like a, a flat piece of paper, maybe even a, a holographic type thing on paper, and people will go, oh, that's 3D. No, it's not. It simply looks 3D. They try to give you dimensions and deceive your eyes and make you think that it's, you know, what you're looking at is three-dimensional. No, it's not. It's flat. And some of us have seen, we've done like a three-point perspective drafting thing. Some of us know what that is. That's kind of cool because you've got these different angles. But he's given us something with all of the angles, all the way around, even the backside you don't normally get to see. This is an amazing thing he's describing to us. All of this is about the love of Christ. And its dimensions are immeasurable. That's the idea. But not just to know about it, but to know it. That word where it says, and to know the love of Christ, that's more of an intimate. I don't just know about it. I know it. It's part of me. I know it intimately. But it surpasses knowledge. And that's the word I want to focus on because it's a word... There is a word that appears, I think it appears eight times in the, the prison epistles, and it does not appear in our text today. It appears other times, and I'll highlight it when it does. But I want to talk about the word that is here for knowledge, and that is gnosis. Here's a Greek word, you see it. You'll see the um, transliteration drop down. There it is, gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S is the transliteration. You'll see it drop down. There it is. And it's translated simply knowledge. But your Bible and my Bible says he wants us to know about this love and to know the love that surpasses knowledge. Okay. All right. So I want to, what I'd like to do is take you to another place. I want to add a Greek word to this uh, a beginning of, there you go, epignosis. Uh, you'll see the transliteration drop down. There you go, epignosis. That's the word that appears eight times in the prison epistles, not in our text today. Why did I go ahead and add it? I added it because our text mandates that we understand this. You see, the word for knowledge is just gnosis, but there's another word, and it's and it, epi means beyond, like an epi pen or epidermis. So that's where we get that idea. So this surpasses knowledge. So he's talking about epignosis, not talking about gnosis. We're talking about a knowledge that is above and beyond upon knowledge. Hope you're tracking with me. And then I threw this in there, uber. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's look at Merriam-Webster's definition of uber. It's not a ride, by the way. That's just a modern thing. The definition is being a superlative example of its kind or class. You could use the word super, 
So you could say super upon knowledge or super beyond knowledge. Now, I'm not talking about the CRT movement today. I don't know if you've heard much about this. But the CRT, the critical race theory movement, is a difficult thing for a white preacher to talk about. So I've got to be real careful. I'm treading on thin water here. So the CRT, I highly recommend, if you haven't listened to a guy by the name of, of Vody Bauckham, find him, read him, listen to him. He is a preacher who's got very dark skin, and he is very well-spoken about critical race theory, probably the sharpest mind on the subject today. So I highly recommend, if you want to learn about critical race theory, you should listen to Vody Bauckham, because critical race theory is kind of strange, because when it, you boil it down to what it ultimately comes to, you have to have black skin, and then you just know. You just know. You can't, there's logical reasoning, facts, all those things are constructed by other than dark-skinned people. They're racist. That's, that's really, that's what's being taught in CRT. I'm not talking about this. So, so it sounds like I am super beyond knowledge. Isn't that what the CRT, th that's what they're saying. They're saying that it just comes, it's just in you. You just, you have to be dark-skinned and then you just know. And nobody can argue with that because there's nowhere, no way of identifying it. It's just, you just know. I just know. That's not what we're talking about here. This super beyond knowledge is actually something that you can know, and you can track it down, and you can test it. This is the knowledge that is above worldly knowledge. It's above what the world can even, they can't even comprehend it. If they had it, they wouldn't know what to do with it. But this super beyond knowledge is what we're talking about that God wants us to have about this, the love of Christ. You can talk about it. You can describe it. You can preach on it. But until you experience it, you don't really know it. And that's what this is about. He wants us to know that, not just to know about it. He wants to intimately, us to intimately know it within us. And it's beyond what the world can even conceive. I'd like to show you an image because of the scripture that we just read. This image is of a tree and its roots. I got lots of funny stories I'll not share with you right now. If you want, I got funny and I got gross. I'm not going to share with you now. But the trees that we see all around us, the evergreens, most of them do not have root systems like this. I mean, the, the evergreen trees don't. Other trees do. And the reason is because the water table here is so high, deep roots, they don't really go down and get a lot of water from down low. So the trees up here thrive by going just below the surface, not very far. But I want to talk about these trees that do have deep root systems, where the water table is lower than it is where we are. They have root systems that go sometimes bigger than the rest of the tree. Maybe you've dealt with them. I have. They have tap roots and everything. You, like try to, you can cut a tree down and think you're done. You're not done. There's a lot underground. And the root systems I wanted you to take a look at because I wanted you to see it's, it's a cool thing the way God has designed things. If you ever, we'll talk about the fig leaf one of these days um, and, and Jesus' analogy and uh, some really cool stuff. 
But leaves are designed. The trees, you know, they reach to the sun. And the leaves open up. And if you look at leaves, they're fascinating. Leaves actually can catch water. That's what they're designed to do. It's part of their purpose. So the tree is gathering sun and nutrients, water, especially from outside. But underground, they're grabbing it down there too. And they, if they're rooted like this, that is really hard to knock a tree over like that. In fact, what usually happens in a, with a big tornado is it just tears them, just breaks them. The roots stay down there. Not like our trees up here that you, they topple over and you just see this giant root system that's just mostly barely below the surface that pops up. But I wanted you to take a look at that and keep looking at that. And I'm going to read this again to you. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So I wanted you to see rooted and grounded visually. This is what God wants for his people. Okay, last week I brought up epistemology. Remember that? I said say we're going to look at an epistemological view of faith. Now, there might be one of you in this room who's really interested in epistemology. And if you are, I've got a paper out there. I just have one copy, but it's like a mini book. It's a short thing that was sent to me by a mentor of mine uh, before he passed away. Very, very, very wise philosophical professor. And it's out there if you want to learn about epistemology. Epistemology is the study or theory of the nature and grounds of knowledge, especially with reference to its limits and validity. So in other words, how do you know? What is knowledge? People question it. You'll see the definition I just read to you. It should pop up. There it is. How do you know that's knowledge? You say it's knowledge, but other people say it's not. What is knowledge? That's epistemology, the study of that. Uber epignosis is super beyond, beyond the surface knowledge. But the question we should ask, since we know those two terms, how do we obtain this knowledge? Now, I'll show you a chart. Up behind me, this might, like, might look familiar. Remember, last week we did other words up here, but you basically you have the starting point or, or question, and then you have the, um, the very end is the conclusion or solution, but the middle is the process. Now, I want to show you this in a different way. Remember I said that Dr. Gene Scott said something. I'm going to reword it because it makes, uh, this is what he means. Faith is a blind leap into the darkness. Now, I had JC mark that out behind me because that's a false statement. I told you it was. I would like to uh, go through this and show you with our process behind me. You have a question mark that's upside down. The world doesn't know what it doesn't know, and what it thinks it knows, it's confused about. It's got lots of questions about our faith. And so I'd, we have a question that's upside down. And we have a word, uber epignosis, it'll pop up behind me, and that is this beyond-the-surface way beyond the surface, knowledge. So how can we get that to others? How can we show them 
this knowledge that's beyond the surface. So that would be the process, the middle part. I would suggest it's faith based on our text. You'll see the word faith pop up behind me. <clears throat> the next word I want to have pop up is Bible. How do you get the faith? Well, the Bible is part. You'll see the word Bible pop up, and then you'll see the word life. So if you want to get a good visual and grab how this works, this is the way it works. You'll see a line that will connect them, the Bible to the life. This is how faith is illustrated. You read the Bible. Now, we talk about prayer. I love prayer. Prayer is a powerful thing. Miracles happen through prayer. I appreciate your prayers. We talk about the importance of prayer. We also talk about the importance of the Bible. Now, if you're going to weigh them in the balance of things, which one's more important, the Bible or prayer? Well, depends on how you look at it, but the way I look at it is, this is God speaking. Prayer is me speaking, us speaking. I'll say, this is more important. In the scales, I'd say, God speaking is way more important than me speaking. So I would say the Bible would be a priority. God's wisdom is greater than any of my requests. So take, you take the Bible. Why did I have it up here in this whole process? Because if we're going to have a faith that is functional, our faith is going to come from what we know in the Bible. So this, I suggest to you, faith is a conscious step into the light, not a blind leap into the dark. And a lot of people think faith is a blind leap in the dark. We came across the Tacoma Narrows to get to you today, and I can tell you it requires a little bit of faith. <laughs> when it's foggy, you can only see the first part of the bridge. You know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, and I'm assuming that everything's still good. Crossed it many times, but everybody's seen the wobbly old one that fell because of the wind. I didn't get nervous or anything. I, I just, I have faith. I've been on this before. I cross it all the time. It's fine. It's going to be fine. But you can't see it. I have faith because of my knowledge that I've been across it before. Um, is it blind faith? I don't think so. I've been on it many times before. I know it's there. I haven't heard anything. There's a crisis happening. So pretty, pretty good chance it's still there. Cars are in front of me. I don't see any brake lights. Everything looks good. But the reality is sometimes faith requires us to, to not really know the outcome. We don't know. I, I asked you to pray about an outcome we don't know. You, you pray prayers. You don't know the outcome. Is that blind to pray like that? Or is it we have prayed before and prayer works? And we also happen to know we're speaking to our Father who listens to every prayer we pray. He even listens when we're not praying. He cares about us. He loves us because He's our Father. And when I talk to Him, He listens. He's not distracted by other people's prayers or anything that's going on in life. He is listening to my prayers. And it is not a blind faith for me to just say, I'm just hand it to God and I'm just blindly just doing something. No, I'm not. It's a very conscious step into the light. Just like 
Dr. Gene Scott, who made a, a statement that is not true, he did come to terms with the authenticity of the Bible because facts are facts. This book has stood the test of time, and many critics and others who have tried to burn it and get rid of it, it's still here. The Bible is an awesome book. And so when I choose to look at the Bible and get direction, this is proven stuff. It works, it's practical, and it's God's wisdom. So I take that and I live my life. And as I live my life, I'm trying to follow this to the best of my ability. None of us are perfect, but we try. So when we take the Bible as our guide, we try to live our life, what we have is an illustrated faith. James says, don't just tell me you believe. Don't just simply listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That is an illustrated faith that God expects. And if you want people to not look at you as one of the many other Christians they've met that are just a bunch of hypocrites, and that is the, a big criticism of the world, you have to live out your faith in front of them. It's not okay to smoke and cuss while you're preaching. We kind of know this. Well, why? Because preachers shouldn't do that. No, because Christians shouldn't do that. If, if you're, and if you get caught, let's say you're at work or school or wherever, and you're, you do something that the Bible says you shouldn't do, the response isn't to defend yourself. The response is, I'm sorry I set a bad example. That's not what I should be doing as a Christian. I, I'm working on it. Thank you for holding me accountable. There's no hypocrisy in that. That's genuine. And then work on it. Talk to God. You've apologized to them. Apologize to God and clean up your act as best you can. Christians, the way we're going to get the message to people that Christ's love is beyond what you can understand until you experience it is that they see it unfolding in us. They see us living the life. And they are magnetized to Christ in us. The way He is loving us and the way we express that as we love others, they can be drawn to that. It works. It's the biblical way. Now, I mentioned a little bit ago about the Bible is proven. And some of you might be thinking, I'm not so sure, because I was there. I w there was a day, if somebody would have, if I had heard a preacher say, the Bible has been proven to be reliable. I would have said, no, it hasn't. There was a time in my life where I did not believe that. And I had to study and I had to find out. But you do know that there's a lot of people that are, had gone on before me and studied and found out. And do you, you do know that there's available resources if you need to study to find out. The subject is called apologetics. Oh, sorry. I was behind, exclamation point. We do want the exclamation point. If you want to get that message to the people, instead of having a question mark in their life, they can have an exclamation mark in their life like you do. But apologetics is the subject. You, if you want to look it up, look it up. There's available resources online. Not all of it's great. I'm going to give you some that you can look up on your own. Don't be confused with another apologetics. You'll see this word pop up behind me. I did this on purpose. For those of you who love quality music, 
that uh, maybe you grew up on some, you know, from the 60s or 70s or 80s, 90s, even today. You got some music that says, oh, love it, but it's not Christian. I'd rather listen to Christian lyrics. This is your band, Apologetics with an X. They've got lots of songs, and they probably have the songs that you love with Christian lyrics, and they sound, most of them sound just like the original. I saw them in concert here in the Seattle area. It's wonderful. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about apologetics, and let me give you this specific. I did that rabbit trail on purpose for your benefit. Look up the group, Apologetics with an X. You can get on YouTube and listen for free. Okay, here are some apologetics with the CS references. First of all, Josh McDowell, I highly recommend anything written by Josh McDowell. He's got books like Evidence That that Demands a Verdict and any rendition of that that will go through and answer critical questions about the Bible, and simply answer with facts. Another one is Lee Strobel. I'm sure you're familiar with him. He's more modern. Movie was made about him, The Case for Christ. He was also a critic of Christianity. And if you want to go deeper, if you're a deep thinker and you, you might even have to read with a dictionary or thesaurus next to you, the late Francis A. Schaeffer, has multiple volumes of books on apologetics, and uh, that would take you even deeper than the others I mentioned. Look at our text again. I'm going to read it again, the last part that I read, starting with verses, I'll read, start with verse 17, read verse 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the Christians, that's what saints means, What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God wants you to have everything that he has for you. And the way you're going to grab that is by comprehending in such a way that he wants you to comprehend the the abundant love of Christ. Now look at the rest of our text. Verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. That's God. According to the power at work within us through the Spirit. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That amen is it's just a, that's a Greek transliteration. It means, so let it be. Here's some takeaways from the text today. First of all, the Bible is the source of God's wisdom for us. It's a priority. Second, the love of Jesus is way beyond simple knowledge. Third, strength comes from a rooted and grounded love. Uber ignosis requires strength. And by the way, you should go back to the text and see all of these things. It'll help you. Fifth, a lived out faith is the key to uber epignosis. That knowledge that is beyond surface knowledge. Way beyond. Six, the Holy Spirit empowers us to forge through life. And if you're struggling, lean on God. His Spirit can help you. Seven, 
God wants his church to be glorified through Christ, embodied in us. Once again, he reiterates to us, he wants his bride, the church, to look beautiful. And the way that's going to happen is how we look as we live out our faith in front of others. This is an ugly, ugly time that we live in, in a very ugly world. And there's been a lot of energy and time and resources spent to try to divide people. People are making money on dividing us, Christians. We can stand up for what we believe in, but let's love others the way Christ loved us and not let the devil divide us through these schemes that are happening in this ugly world. Let's let the bride of Christ look beautiful in this ugly world. What do you say? Are you with me? Let's do it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us way beyond what the world could, can comprehend. But God, help us to show them. Help us to stay united as a church, to stay united with other Christians. Help us to represent you so that in the end, you, our Father, will say, I'm proud of you. Well done. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.